Well, happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Certainly want to recognize and honor all our active military personnel as well as our retired personnel and veterans who are joining us. Want to give a shout out to them. As a matter of fact, I'd love, love for you to jump on the chat right now and just list off the names. If you've got a, a loved one, a family member, close friend, just list off the names of those you're connected with that are serving either currently or are retired uh, and veteran status as well. And so we just want to recognize you. We want to say thank you uh, for all the ways that you serve, as well as the families. Uh, when you look at Brian Culver's uh, call to worship, thank you, Brian, for doing that this morning. And you think about the Culver family unit that sacrifices in order for Brian to do what he does. Or like Derek Ford, who serves in our National Guard and the Ford family and what they sacrifice in order for him to do what they do. And on and on it goes. So we've got many families in the Eagle congregation, and uh, we want to recognize you and honor you and uh, say thank you um, for all that you do for our country. And I also want to give a shout out to some new enlistees. So we've got a couple of young men. Yesterday I was at Alex Olsis's grad party. So shout out to the Olsis family, Matt and Christy. And uh, their son, Alex, is enlisted into the Marine Corps. And he will be heading off in October to San Diego, much like the Morgan family where Brandon as recently, and now the Olsis family sending Alex. So I want to give a congratulations shout out. He's a graduate of Westfield High School this year. So Alex, uh, best wishes to you. Proud of you, young man. You're going to uh, serve our country so well. As well, I want to give a shout out to the Patrick family. So CJ and Aaron Patrick's son, Caleb, is about to be heading off for the National Guard. I believe he's going to be placed in uh, Georgia for his basic training. Uh, so shout out to you, Caleb. He graduated in 2019, but is enlisted to enter into the National Guard here uh, later on this month. And so thinking of all of our young people, we got some amazing graduates and uh, stepping into our armed services. So I want to recognize all of them. So if you've got a Bible near you, open it up. And if you need to pull out the notes there, they can direct you on the chat. There's a place for you to get the notes online. Open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing our series that I've entitled Change. And this weekend isn't just a time of remembrance for a great physical battle and physical victory in our land. In 1776, under the command of George Washington, the Continental Army, they defeated, after a really bloody and difficult battle, they defeated the Great Britain's presence on our eastern shores. And it was a monumental moment, 1776. As a result of that victory by Washington and the Continental Army, the Declaration of Independence was drafted up. And this was the formation of what's now referred to as the United States of America. So this weekend, we reflect on words like war and battle and struggle and sacrifice and freedom. And did you realize, church, that that's not just the language of our physical battles and physical realities, but when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that's actually great vocabulary for a battle that can't be seen with our physical eyes, for the kind of war that's thrust upon us that can't be understood with our physical eyes realities. And so when we talk about the subject of change, 
I thought we would kind of enter into the dialogue as you feel this ground swell, a cry for, it's time for change, it's time for reform, it's time for renewal, and it's time for it now. Yes and amen, it's time for change. And to ask the question, how might Jesus enter into this discussion? And last week we looked at, surprisingly, we might see Jesus start on the inside. That the darkness we really battle starts in here. And the external changes we long to see out there begin with some internal change and reform in here. And we looked at how it's the power of Jesus' life to displace the darkness. So if you're tuning in this morning and it's been one of those weeks where you feel like the darkness has kind of been overwhelming and seemingly insurmountable, can I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's and the visual that I tried to give us with the darkness of the dark and corrosive waters being displaced by the power of Jesus living water. It's a visual for the gospel. It's the starting spot for change Church, there's no way we can move out and and change the things that we long to see change in our lives, in our families, in our nation, and in the world without the power of the gospel. That's why I love that new song that Ian and the team led us with. And I got to give cred where cred's due here. So the song came from Lily, our oldest. I think they're singing at Cedarville University. So Lily comes home from Cedarville early like all of our college students. Like, Dad, you got to hear this new song. This world needs Jesus. I've just been burning it up on my playlist. I just want to encourage you, Lord. That picture, right? The chorus and the lyrics that our world at its core needs Jesus. What what do our families need right now? Whatever the turmoil and upheavals going on at home, it's Jesus. Right? The cry for change is at its core a cry for Jesus. And that change got to start in here. Darkness got to get displaced in here. And we can't do that in our own wisdom and strength. And so today I want to build upon it by looking at Ephesians 6 now and looking at not only is the darkness within, but Paul says in Ephesians 6, there's a darkness beyond. And it's the coupling of these two darknesses that gives us clarity with our battle. So look at Ephesians 6, verse 11 and following. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's, circle in your Bible, schemes. That word literally means methods or tactics. So the language of the Bible is the devil or Satan or the enemy or the evil one. First introduced in Genesis chapter 3, undermining Adam and Eve's relationship with God. The devil has schemes. The devil has tactics. The devil has methods attempted to do this sabotage whatever God's purposes are in your life. Whatever God is up to in your life, the enemy is trying to undermine and sabotage that. And he is spending a whole lot of time and energy with very specific schemes to know just how to attack and take us out. And if you need a good kind of a a good read on this, let me recommend to you C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. As a matter of fact, parents, if you've got, I would say, probably good for 12 and up for being able to understand it. So parents, I'd love for you, maybe read that with your kids and have some great discussions because Lewis gives us a great picture of this very verse right here. 
of how the battle isn't just what we see with our physical eyes. Look at verse 12. For our struggle, and that word struggle literally means like a a hand-to-hand combat. It's intense. Our struggle is not against, notice, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we got two principles today from Ephesians 6. As we look at this call to change and we look into this this charge from Ephesians 6, here's the first principle for today. I put it in your notes this way. Clarifying your enemy is important to winning the battle. Clarifying your enemy is important to winning the battle. So I reached out to defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus from the Colts, and I said, Coach, could you like just jump on your phone and tell us a bit about as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, how do you approach trying to examine your, your, your enemy, your opponent, the one that you're trying to defeat on the coming Sunday? And here's what he sent. Take a look. Good morning, Matt Eberflus here, defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. When studying for an upcoming opponent, there's tremendous time and effort that goes into this preparation. I'm gonna break it down into four separate categories. Number one is the breakdown. The breakdown consists of 350 to 500 plays or five games or more, just so we can break down the opponent. Every detail is put in there, okay, so we can pull that information out to what we call cut-ups, okay? The next thing is a report. Each individual coach is responsible for making a report. For example, first and second down run, first and second down pass, third down red zone, two minute, backed up, goal line short yardage, and a lot of other reports. The next thing we have is the game plan. The game plan is so critical because now our staff comes together, okay, and formulates a plan of attack against our opponent. All right, and then we take all the details given. It's so important that we uh, collaborate with ideas, okay, and come together. And then we'll come up with four or five calls based on the situations to attack our opponent. Number four, we know what we have to adjust. We have to have a contingency plan, okay, for our opponent during the game. And we have to be able to adjust on the fly to be able to attack our opponent in a victorious way. With all this being said, we also know that we have to rely on our fundamentals and our techniques and our basics of football in order to play winning football. We want to be able to play fast and fundamentally sound at the end of the day so we can win the football game. Hope you have a good day. Thanks. Well, thanks, Coach Flus, for helping us out. Some of you right now are like going, man, I miss football. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I miss those, those Sundays, right, and those games. Hopefully soon and very soon it'll come back. But did you notice how much effort and intentionality that Flus and the defensive staff put in to winning a football game on Sunday? Up to 500 plays? where they're doing cut-ups, and then they're having collaborative meetings, and then they're breaking it down into red zone, and third down, and first down, and two-minute, and goal line, all for, to, to win. That's just to win one game. And then I loved his comment about, did you catch it? 
There's a real application here between the ability to adjust and adapt on the fly because you may be heading into a situation and you'd prepared a certain way and then the dynamics change and you need to be able to respond. And in those moments, you've got to rely on your fundamentals and your technique. And boy, so many applications, right, for the spiritual life here. I thought about in my own life how many times I've been struggling with a battle because I lost sight of my true enemy. You know, maybe the struggle you're having with your coworker, maybe it's not so much about your coworker. You know that tension you're having with your spouse, maybe it's not so much about your spouse. Or maybe that strife that's going on between you and your child, maybe it's not a parent-child situation, there's more going on. Or how about in our nation? How about all the upheaval and all the turmoil that's going on in our own country and around the world? Could it be that it's not just a physical battle, physical realities issue going on? Could it be that the enemy whom Jesus described, if you want to know like what Satan's up to, like his big picture agenda, John 10.10, Jesus describes Satan's plan as this. The thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. So fracturing, dividing, tearing down, undermining, kill, steal, and destroy. Is that not a fairly good commentary on our news feed these days? If you want to know like, What's the agenda that he's up to? I wonder if some of the upheaval going on across our globe is a reflection of a battle that is much more unseen than maybe sometimes we realize. And perhaps we've gotten distracted and lost sight of our true enemy. Could it be that we've turned flesh and blood, we turned it to a flesh and blood issue when God's trying to say, hey, your real enemy isn't flesh and blood here. You need to get clear on your real enemy in order to fight this battle. It's spiritual. It's principalities and powers that can't be seen with the physical eyes. Many of you will remember the name David Mays. Here's a picture of David and Marcy Mays. David was a part of our congregation, he and Marcy, for many years. David passed away in 2012. They're amazing leaders around here. Marcy has since remarried to a man named Tom. Tom and Marcy, if you're listening today, love you guys, miss you. Thank you for all that you've built in the Eagle family. And just thinking about David today. Marcy, I was thinking about how David, one of my spiritual mentors for many years, he was an elder here, he served in our missions team here, just a a great mentor on so many fronts. And, And David would say to me, he'd say, Eric, I want you this week to watch the international news through this lens, through the lens of Ephesians 6, and ask if God might be displaying in the physical realm through the evening news cycle, uh, like a little window into what's going on in the spiritual realm, like it's a breakthrough moment. Like the window, the the curtain gets pulled back and you see into the spiritual realm, it kind of erupts in the physical realm. And boy, think about that and all that's going on today. The marching and the rioting and the chanting and the turmoil and the upheaval, not just in our nation, across the world, nations. Could it be that the spiritual realm kind of breaking in and erupting through the physical realm? And could it be that we are getting a little distracted? We're turning it into a flesh and blood battle when we've got to get church. We've got to get clear on our true enemy. If we want to see change, we've got to understand who we're fighting against. 
We've got to get our cut-ups and our plans and our breakdowns and our collaboration to take out our true opponent. And our true opponent, it might not be who we think it is. That's what Paul's trying to say here. He's like, hey, you got to open up your eyes. Now your physical eyes, you got to open up your spiritual eyes to see, to see what's going on. Now he builds on it, verse 14. Stand firm, Paul says then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now he's unpacking the armor of God. With the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So do you see, church, do you see that as you get clarity on who your true enemy is, it then provides clarity that your spiritual battles, your battles are really spiritual at your core, your enemy's really spiritual at its core. When you get a spiritual battle requires spiritual weapons. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. I think we might be having some struggles today with the change we're crying out for. We're just dealing with it in the physical realm. We're just dealing it in flesh and blood solutions. You can't do flesh and blood solutions for spiritual problems and spiritual battles. That's what Paul's getting at. It's like, hey, you got to recognize once you've clarified your battle, the weapons you need are spiritual. That's why the language is so unique to the New Testament this way. I I listed it in your notes just to kind of unpack it a little bit for you. The belt of truth. Do you realize all the thoughts you have are not your own thoughts? You realize the evil one, the enemy, like can send thoughts into your mind through a multiplicity of ways? That not every thought you have is your own thought. Certainly not every thought you have is God's thought. That some of the thoughts you have are simply from the evil one. And you're going to need what Paul said, the belt of truth. And you're going to need to be able to exchange those lies with truth. And we're going to need people in our life to help us with this. I have a good friend in my life who gave me a truth jar. And she put together all these promises that she's like, hey, just occasionally when you're maybe struggling with how to see things, see yourself the way God sees you, or just see the circumstances the way God wants, why don't you just reach in and pull out one of those things from the truth jar? And I've done that for the last couple of years now. Maybe we all need a truth jar. Strap on the belt of truth. Exchange the lies with, with truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is a Bible word, sometimes hard to get a hold of. Let me break it down this way. Don't make it any more complicated than this. When you, when you see the word righteousness, it's this just do the next right thing with the power of God's help to do it. So you might be, maybe this morning finds you down the wrong road, wrong path, going the wrong way. and all. Hey, here, here's what you do. You just stop. You say, okay, God, what's the next right thing that you want me to do? Just do that. Do you know that's righteousness? That's living in the kingdom of God. Just do the next right thing that Jesus is leading you to do. Just do that. And then when you do that, stop. Say, okay, what's the next right thing to do from there? That's breastplate of righteousness. Just keep making the wise and God-centered choice. And we're going to need help to do that. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's help. We're going to need community around us help. But just do the next right thing, breastplate of righteousness. 
And then the gospel of peace. Oh, it's a great image for the gospel of peace. The soldiers would have like spikes in their shoes in such a way because when the ground and the soil they were in became so soft and unstable, they would need spikes to like steady themselves. They would hold firm, hold your position, get in the right posture, right? You know you're going to receive a resistance. Have you figured this out in a relationship with God? When you take a step forward for Christ and his kingdom, when you step up and step out for Christ, it's on. It's on. What's coming at you is Ephesians 6. It's a spiritual battle. You feel this wave of resistance, and you're going to need the gospel of peace. You're going to put, stick your foot in the ground and stand firm. That's that. Shield of faith, all these arrows coming at us. I listed a few in your notes. You got arrows of anger, lust, guilt, regret, greed, anxiety, on and on it goes. All these arrows at the enemy. And he knows just the ones to shoot at you. He's got them tailor-made. He knows just how to send them. Which is why we're going to need things like helmet of salvation to be aware, right? In the midst of this battle, it's a good thing we're to hold on to this, right? Last week's message with the gospel, Jesus has already declared victory over the evil one. The end of this war is written, book of Revelation. So you read Revelation and say, hey, the war is finished, the battle is settled. Now in the midst of it, we're going to have a fair amount of Ephesians 6 realities to deal with. But the end, Satan's got an end date. His plan's got an end date. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be really messy between now and then. And that's what's going on here. So helmet of salvation, reminding that there is an end point and the war has been fought and won. Calvary, empty tomb, Easter weekend. Sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon you had? Scripture, right? This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the only offensive piece, which is another reminder, right? In the midst, we just got to be immersed in the God-breathed book. We've got to keep renewing our minds and our hearts to keep thinking God's thoughts and living God's ways and speaking God's word and receiving it into our heart, mind, and soul, sword of the spirit. And then prayer. Did you notice all through Ephesians 6? We'll get into it more in a couple of weeks, but prayer, he's just got this whole thing about, he says, hey, once you recognize that your true battle isn't physical, it's spiritual, once you recognize your true weapons aren't necessarily physical, but spiritual, then your posture is going to be, you're going to have to get really fluent in the language that's reflective of that reality. Once you grasp what your real battles and who your true enemy is, it's prayer. Prayer is this posture of dependence. There's no way we can fight this in our own wisdom and strength. That's why Paul says pray, pray, pray for all the saints. Pray on all occasions because we're desperately dependent upon God. Church, do you see this? We got to get real clear with our enemy. And our enemy not, may not be who we think it's maybe we've been battling. Get real clear. And then once you get clear on your enemy, it's not physical, it's spiritual, you get clear on your weapons because your weapons aren't physical, they're spiritual. So in the NFL circles, um, they have this program set up every year or so. They take a group of players and coaches overseas and they go visit the military personnel. And so several years ago, Peyton Manning, was, uh, was, was, he was with us at that time in the Colts organization, took some of the Colts coaches along with Austin Collie and some other. Here's a picture of Peyton. They, they left Indy and they departed. They started their trip and they landed in Washington, D.C. Here's a picture of Peyton visiting uh, one of the soldiers there, Walter Reed Hospital, where a lot of the soldiers kind of come to rehab from their injuries in the battlefield. And, and so from there, they loaded up in a really large military plane. The plane was so big, the coaching staff said that Peyton could throw passes 
to the soldiers that were on the plane. So they cleared out this section. Can you see that picture there? They're clearing out a section. And they said, literally, Peyton threw passes to the soldiers. They said, not exaggerating, for like up to seven hours. Because they were just recording, you know, they like catch a pass and record it. And, you know, Peyton was being great with the soil. He just literally across the Atlantic Ocean just kept throwing passes to soldiers. And, and then they would land like Afghanistan and then they landed in North Africa. And the way the scene went is they'd have a big rally. And so there'd be a rally and there'd be all the troops would get together and coaches and players would like speak and say some words. And Peyton would like sign a bunch of balls and then he would throw the balls out to the soldiers out there, just kind of as a part of the program. And uh, Clyde Christensen, the coach, one of the coaches at that time, told me the story of when they landed in North Africa, they were doing like one of those big, can you go to the next slide, David? They were going, they were like doing one of these rallies like that where they're just like, you know, on the main stage and they're throwing all these people and Peyton was just getting ready to leave, kind of head back to the plane and there was this young female soldier who he could tell wanted to uh, maybe catch a pass or get a picture with Peyton and Peyton spotted her and so he stopped, grabbed a football, signed it and said, hey, Hey, and he asked her name and soldier, and she introduced herself. And he said, hey, why don't you go ahead and run like a 15-yard out pattern right now? Just run 15 yards and cut, cut right. I'll throw it to you. And so all of her, you know, all of her comrades are there, and everybody stops. There's a big old scene, and, and she's in full military gear. Clyde said she had like probably 25 pounds worth of stuff on her with her, you know, bulletproof vest and all the stuff around her belt. And then, and she had this large rifle. And now everyone thought when Peyton said, hey, run this 15-yard route, they most likely thought you're going to like set the rifle down to run the route. She just, without, <laughs> without missing a beat, she takes the rifle and she just thrusts it on her back. She leaves it strapped to herself. She thrusts it on her back. She throws it over her shoulder. And Clyde says she just sprints. She's got this rifle and she sprints. Peyton throws it. She catches the pass. Everybody's screaming and cheering. And it's, do you have this picture? Picture this young female soldier sprinting out there, this big rifle just slamming against her back, strapped with 25 plus pounds of stuff. So, of course, Clyde made his way over to her in a bit, and he said, he said, ma'am, why didn't you set your rifle down? That seemed really, like, uncomfortable. She said this to him. She said, coach, it's so dangerous here, we can't set our weapons down for one moment. Church, when I heard that story, I think... This young soldier in North Africa running a 15-yard route with a, with a rifle strapped to her, I think that is a great visual for what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians 6 for a disciple in 2020. The dynamics and the battle that we're facing, listen, the enemy's not messing around. He's got tactics, he's got schemes, he's got plans. And his number one agenda is kill, steal, and destroy everything God's wanting to see in your life flourish. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your marriage. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your relationship with your kids. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy whatever purposes you want to serve in this world for God and his glory. Your ministry and his work in this world, he's up to that. And he's not messing around. And I think that young soldier grasped what we need to grasp in the spiritual realm. That as a disciple of Jesus, the stakes are too high, gang. We can't set our weapons down for one moment.
can't do it. And for some of you, you've been recently taking steps forward, and you've been stepping up and stepping out for Christ. You're like, you just feel this wave coming back at you. And right now is your time. Stand firm. Recognize who your true enemy is. Armor up, soldier up, and fight the spiritual battle with Jesus' help and strength. This isn't a time to back down. It's not a time to set our weapons down. And perhaps it's an explanation if we've gotten, if we've gotten um, maybe a little negligent on some of these fronts. Maybe we just kind of drifted. Maybe we just unplugged. And certainly easy to do during the stretch of 2020 that we're living. It's just easy to get distracted and overwhelmed. And you just kind of unplug and drift and pull away. And you realize you just kind of you set your rifle down. Maybe you took off your bulletproof vest. And you're taking some shots. And that's why the language of Ephesians 6 is, church, it says, the full armor, what's the next phrase? Of God. This is the armor of God. Like, God is our helmet of salvation. God is our breastplate of righteousness. God is our gospel and prince of peace. God is the one. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our fortress. The nature of the battle we're in, we can't armor ourselves up in our own wisdom and strength. You can't enter into this. That'd be like you walking right into the middle of a military zone thinking you can just strap on whatever you want to strap on and go into battle. That's not how this works. Paul said we got to open up our spiritual eyes, see our true enemy, recognize the weapons we need, and then it's the armor of God. We're desperately dependent. This battle we have isn't something we can fight on our own. Do you see that? This is what Moses discovered when he's standing on the banks of the Red Sea. And he sees an uncrossable body of water in front of him and the Egyptian army and their chariots pounding the ground behind him. And the dust cloud is rolling. And the Lord says, Moses, stretch out your staff over that water. Stand still and see the deliverance the Lord is going to bring to you today. This battle isn't just yours to fight. Now listen, Moses was a part of it. I'm like, it's not like you're passive here, right? It doesn't mean you're going to stand on the sidelines. I want you to think of this as like, actively dependent. I think that's the phrase for us in Ephesians 6. You're actively dependent in this spiritual battle. You're active. You're a part of it. Moses, stand, stretch out your staff. You're going to hear the thundering hooves of the Egyptians, yes, but this battle, I'll fight. You're dependent. You can't do this without me. Or how about Joshua in Joshua chapter 3? There's this flood stage, Jordan River at flood stage, and the Lord says to his people, hey, get the priests, get the ark of God, send the priests with the ark of God, tell them to step into the waters, and I'll part those waters, and you guys are going to go through. What a great picture. Actively dependent, you got to get your feet wet. They couldn't just stand on the sideline. They couldn't just stay like inside the tabernacle and just praying and saying, Lord, just part that water. The Lord said, no, get up, get the ark, get moving, move towards the water, step into the waters, and then. See that? Actively dependent. We're a part of this deal, but God's going to ultimately fight and win this battle. I was recently reading about Hezekiah. 2 Kings 19, unbelievable scene. Sennacherib's running his mouth, the head of the Assyrian army, and he thinks he's got Hezekiah all pinned down, 185,000 plus troops. The numbers are not looking good for Hezekiah and the troops. So Hezekiah, he just takes the situation into the, he just takes it and spreads it out. 
before the Lord. It says in prayer, he just spreads out the circumstances before the Lord. And here's what God steps in and says to him in 2 Kings 19. He says this line to him. He says, hey, Hezekiah, I will defend this city and save it. The Lord will defend the city and save it. But Hezekiah, guess what you got to do? Marshal the troops, lead, work in this space, deal with Sennacherib. You're going to be at the front of this, but the Lord says, I'll defend this city. I'll save it. Actively dependent. So church, today, we got to get real clear with our enemy. We got to get better than Coach Floos and their staff is at diagnosing the Texans' offense when it comes to play the Texans. We got to get better than that in the spiritual realm. Because once you've clarified your enemy and understood their tactics and schemes, then it's going to clarify the weapons that you got to enter into this with. So here's how I want to wrap up today. Ian is going to come back up. Ian, just go ahead and come up, start playing in. Wherever you're at, I know some of you might be traveling right now, and it's probably not feasible for you to pull over. Maybe if you're in a place where you could just set your Bibles down at home, living room, kitchen. If you're doing some dishes right now, maybe just turn off the faucet, dry off your hands, and just let's take a minute here. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, maybe you're on some beach somewhere listening to this. Maybe you're sitting in some boat somewhere. Just shut the motor off for a minute. Put it in park for a minute. And let's just reflect for a minute. Because I believe this morning the Lord has some folks listening. And you're just in the throes of a battle that you feel like you're just getting thrashed. Like it's coming from all sides. It's overwhelming. And candidly, you might have said recently, you're just giving up. You're just like, it's just... Some of you are battling a cloud of depression and anxiety that simply won't lift. And you've just been toying around with that. You're just going to give up. Or maybe it's battling a cloud of pornography and some addiction to lust and some sexual brokenness there. And you say, the cloud's not going to lift, you think. Or maybe it's others. You've got substance abuse issues and you've sought counseling, you've sought help, and the cloud just doesn't lift. Or for others, the things that are unraveling on the home front, you're just at the end of your rope. And you fill in the blank. See, here's a common ground we all have this morning, church. If you've got breath, and li- breath of life in your lungs, every single person who has breath of life in their lungs is facing some great battle. Every one of us. That's not a Bible thing. That's a human thing. We've all got a battle. Ephesians 6 is clear. At its core, it's not flesh and blood. There may be flesh and blood dynamics. There may be flesh and blood manifestations. But at its core, hear me, it's spiritual. Principalities and power. We need eyes to see. We've got to open up our spiritual eyes to see. Maybe we need to dial down the news cycle and dial up right in here so we can say, God, I want to see what you see. Because there's some stuff going on. I think it's way beyond the physical here. So I'd like you to just close your eyes. 
Bow your heads. Do your best with the kiddos. If everybody's all together, just see if I get everybody to take a breath right now. And wherever you're at, I just want you to call out to God and say, God, here I am. Help me. I feel like Moses on the banks of the Red Sea. I feel like Joshua on the banks of the Jordan. I feel like Hezekiah surrounded by Sennacherib. However you feel in that. Just open it up right now. Confess it. Call out what your Red Sea is that you need God to part. And then ask him to open up your spiritual eyes. See what we long and need to see. And then hear the whisper from the Holy Spirit said, This battle, this battle is not yours. This is the Lord's. You're going to be a part of it, but you're not going to be the power to win it. And right now, I just want you to anchor yourself. As, you, as you're bringing that Red Sea, as you're bringing that battle to mind, as you're bringing that seemingly insurmountable situation up, I pray you just bring it right now under the authority of the cross and the empty tomb and the fact that Satan and the powers of darkness have an end date. We don't work from a position of defeat. As Ephesians 6 says, this is why he's got such strong language to stand and be firm and not back down because we work from a position of victory. And so right now, just ground yourself in the victory that Christ has provided through his shed blood and the empty tomb and say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Pour out your life through me. Grant me power and strength beyond myself. Fight this battle. Jesus, come through in ways that the only explanation will be that was the hand of the Lord. Forgive us when we've lost sight and turned our spiritual battles. Maybe we've made some enemies in the physical realm that we just need to work through forgiveness and, and help us get real clear and anchored about who our true enemy is and then give us wisdom and strength with the weapons we need to fight with. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.